This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie, and along with Archbishop Sample, today we're going to continue our discussion on the kerygma. We had this introduction during the Advent season, the beginning of a new year, to hear from our pastors, to really hear Mm -hmm. on invitation from you this really, this call, this relationship, this living, Mm -hmm. life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And now we're moving closely into the Lenten season, but let's talk about that kerygma message and your relationship with the priests. And as we begin, let's begin in prayer. Yes, indeed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we read in the gospel according to your servant, St. John, that you so loved the world that you gave us your only Son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we ask you to send with your Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit upon this local church, and especially right now upon all of our listeners, that you will open their hearts to receive that good news, the good news of salvation in your Son, Jesus, and that we will be able to be instruments of sharing this good news with others, leading them to Christ. So, Father, we place this time in your hands, asking you to cause it to bear good fruit in the hearts and the minds and souls and spirits of our people. All of this we ask through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we did have an opportunity to hear from you as we entered into Advent, this invitation for our priests to really unpack. And I think how beautiful over those Mm -hmm. four weeks of Advent, these four key messages of the kerygma. And now there's this follow-up time, this time for, I think, those seeds to continue to germinate and grow in the hearts of our pastors, our people, really to allow the Holy Spirit to be more received by the people and Mm -hmm. fulfilled. Give us a sense of what you heard over that Advent to Christmas season. Yeah, you know, uh, just to recall for people, um, you know, I had asked the priests, and actually this was a suggestion that came, gosh, it'd be almost, it'll be year at least a year and a half ago from Father John Ricardo and his team when they came here, uh, Acts 29 team, to do a little, kind of a little mini convocation, if you will, with our priests and to introduce to them this new sort of proclamation of the kerygma. You know, the kerygma, it's a big, fancy, mm-hmm. Greek, mysterious word. Uh, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about the proclamation. The kerygma is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is telling our story. It's, it's, it's the good news of our salvation. It's, it's, it's the story of who we are, what our life is about. 
Um, so we, with the priest, received the proclamation, if you will, of the kerygma in a new way. Um, and for some, it was like the first time even priests had really heard it proclaimed in a concise, clear, sort of organized, uh, systematic way, mm. if you will. So what Father Ricardo had suggested to us in the archdiocese is he said, I, he used to do this in his parish before he began this ministry, that every priest should once a year preach the kerygma to his people. Mm-hmm that we have to keep revisiting our story. This, and that's the way he kind of puts mm-hmm. it, and I, I would put it the same way. This is our story. Mm-hmm. This is the Christian story. And we need to be very familiar with our story. We need to know why we are here, why Christ came. What is this all about? What is God all about? What is his relationship with, with humanity all about? What is the meaning of life? It's all contained in the in the kerygma and the proclamation uh, of our story. So uh, he suggested that priests, we should do this once a year in our parishes, just to keep it fresh with our people. You know, repetition is the best mother of learning, you know, uh, to keep it, you know, over-communicated. We should, we should have the elevator speech, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, Father Ricardo tells a wonderful story about a woman he met uh, and was in absolute distress. And in a very short, concise, matter of minutes way, announced the kerygma to her, announced the gospel to her, and it changed her life. So we need to believe in the power of it. So, But we need to know our story. So I asked the priest in response to that, I, I said, okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For the four Sundays of the Advent season before Christmas, I'm asking you to preach the kerygma in your parish. Now, I didn't make it law, and I didn't make it under obedience, so sorry if you're pastor, and this is in the Archdiocese of Portland, so right. for our good listeners in, in Washington, sorry that it didn't reach over there, but, uh, and if you're in your parish in Oregon, if it didn't happen, well, you know, uh, you know that the, the pastor obviously made a better pastoral judgment in his parish in his own mind, but I think most of the p- pastors actually did this. Uh, and so I asked them over the four weeks to preach it. And, and I suggested they use the way that Father Ricardo in Acts 29 unpacks the story. You know, create, we've talked about it here on, mm-hmm. the, on the station as well. You know, created, captured, rescued, and then our response. You know, that we're created, God created everything good. We were captured by the enemy, but we have been rescued in Christ. And now what is going to be our response? So the priest did this. And... As time went along, uh, they always, I was hearing how it was going, and I think they were you know, a little anxious about how this is going to be received yeah. and everything else, and immediately I started hearing from priests, anecdotally, I mean, I didn't do a survey, a technical survey, but I was hearing anecdotally, oh my gosh, people are just eating this stuff up, mm-hmm. they're loving it, they've come up to me and said, I've never heard this before, or this is great, or, uh, man, that's the best homily I've ever heard. I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that some of our priests were getting. And I think it's a testimony to the power of the word, mm-hmm. the power of the word, the proclamation of the good news. This is, you know, as I've said before, this is all the early church had. It's all the early Christians had. It's all the apostles had. They had nothing in terms of what we might consider an organizational structure uh, of a church. It was just them, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and their encounter with Christ that they proclaimed him risen from the dead. 
That's all they had, and they changed the world forever. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us? It tells us that there's power in the proclamation of the word itself, that, that when, the, when the gospel is told, when the good news is proclaimed, it has power, and it touches hearts, and it transforms lives. And, and that's what I was asking them to do. And uh, since it was since after, uh, after um, Advent, and, and, and I had, I've, I've, I've done some more uh, um, organized ways of collecting what, what the response was. And again, um, the, people were overwhelmingly, uh, it was overwhelmingly well-received and, and appreciated. Uh, I, had one, I think the only negative thing I heard, quite honestly, was one pastor related that when he preached on, on, on rest, or, or captured, and he talked about the, our enemy, the ancient enemy, Satan, and, and his demons. And uh, you know, the, uh, one of the per- one person, you know, said, oh, "I didn't like that." You know, it's kind of negative. And da 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 da. And I said, "Well, if we don't believe in the enemy, if we don't believe in Satan and and what he has wrought in the human race, then we don't need a savior. We have to understand why we need a savior." And that that was the whole point of doing an advent. Is I wanted by the time Christmas came, mm-hmm. I wanted people to know. Why he came. Mm-hmm. Why did the eternal son of God take flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary? And why was he born in that manger in Bethlehem? He came on a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. He came on a rescue mission. And if we don't know that we, do, that we need to be rescued, then what do we need Jesus for? Right. right. What is so exciting to hear about Archbishop is just all of the time and effort and prayer that you've had working with our priests praying with and for our priests, all of these different times that you gather together, whether it's on a Zoom, whether it's in retreat, but we've seen this buildup. And I just, here's yet another highlight. This was maybe a a transfiguration moment (laughs) of just having these messages go out. But to have it happen throughout Western Oregon, one, I think it allows the Holy Spirit to just work amazingly throughout you, throughout our priests, and to touch those most in need. What's continuing to grow with your relationship with our mm-hmm. priests as mm-hmm. you continue to foster them, shepherd them? Uh, I, I just see how the father, you know, this fatherhood, the spiritual fatherhood continues to mm-hmm. nurture the souls of our people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, I, as, as the Archbishop of Portland, uh, appointed here now uh, over 10 years ago, uh, on April 2nd, I'll, I'll celebrate my 10th anniversary of actual installation here. And I was appointed on January 29th. You know, I am given the care for all of the people of God in Western Oregon. Uh, I am I am their spiritual father. I'm supposed to be their shepherd, their leader. Um, so it's, 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 it's all of the people of God, the whole church. And so it's, it's not to take anything away from the laity who are entrusted to my care because all of us, bishop and priests, we exist for you. We exist for you. As, as I said, I, I think in our last program on when we were talking about priestly discernment and vocations, I emphasize that point that a priest is ordained not for himself. I mean, certainly it is his path to salvation, it is his path to holiness. I don't want to take away from that. But he's not ordained to minister to himself. He's ordained specifically for the people of God to be their spiritual father's shepherd, to lay down his life for them like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a good spouse for his bride. Um, so it, I mean, all of this is directed ultimately to the laity and to the care for the people of God that Jesus has put in our care. But I, I came to a conclusion probably about two years ago that 
okay, I've got uh, now, as I sit here today, I've got, uh, what, about 13 more years uh, before I write my letter to the Holy Father asking uh, for, for senior status, as we say, uh, to be able to become the Bishop, Archbishop Emeritus uh, of, our, of Portland. How can, how can I best focus my energy? Because I'm, I'm one man and I'm limited. How can I best focus my attention and energy? And it came to me in prayer very profoundly that the best way for me to impact this local church without taking anything away from the time that I need to and will and continue and have been spending with, with, with all of the people of God, the laity and these pastoral visits and town hall meetings and meetings with staffs and all of that, you know, I will continue to do that. But I think I have to place a priority on my relationship with the priests because they are the ones that are going to have the most impact on the local parish level among the people of God. So if I can really, I I call it pouring into my priests. I want to really pour into my priests in a very intentional, serious way to try to be a spiritual father and guide for them and a support for them and an encouragement for them. Yes, and sometimes a corrector of them. And uh, so that's that's really what, what I've been trying to do is work very closely with the priests because I think that's what Jesus did, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From among all the disciples, I mean, he had, he had, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred followers, who knows, and we don't know the exact number, but he had all these disciples who were following him, listening to him, um, but then after spending a night on the mountain in prayer, he comes down and he chooses the 12, right? And he associates the 12 more closely to himself. He spends specific time with them. He teaches them in particular. He forms them as the apostles. They get to know him better than anybody, right? Why does he do that? Just so the apostles can be for themselves? No, so that they can be for the people, so that they can carry on his mission and ministry. Now, those 12 men were the first bishops, but I think what I came to me in prayer was I need to model this locally here with me and my priests, that I need to pour into them, I need to form them, I need to teach them, I need to love them, I need to spend time with them, I need to pray with them, I need to eat with them, I need to socialize with them, I need to get to know them for one purpose, so that they can be great instruments of love and care for the people. And, and, and it's through them, primarily, that I care for the people. I mean, I, where the rubber hits the road, as my dad used to say, is in the parish. Yeah. That's where it happens. That's where people's lives are affected. That's where people's lives are touched. That's where people experience and live their life in the church. To a large extent, the archbishop remains a distant figure. Now, I'm trying to do everything I can to be more present and, and be visible and be with the people and get to know them and for them to get to know me. But, you know, like I said, I'm one man with unlimited amount of energy and time and schedule, you know, to, to what I can do and with all the responsibilities and burdens upon me. So, so I try to do the best I can. So in order to have the greatest impact, it seems to me, is to, is to really uh, unite myself or closely with the priests and have them unite to me. So, you know, we're doing many different things. And really, you know, this is one of the good outcomes, if you will, of the whole horrible pandemic experience, which just seems like a so surreal to us now. But, you know, as out of that came a greater contact between me and the priests, yeah. you know, through the Zoom calls that we had mm-hmm. regularly with the vicars, Ferrain, but with all the priests. And now we continue to use those fora. And I've started something, what I call the Archbishop's Senecal. Mm-hmm. Now, the Senecal is, is another word for the upper room. 
Yeah. You know, so this is where the upper room, of course, where the Last Supper was held. But the upper room, the cenacle, was where Jesus would often gather with his apostles. We get that that, that impression. And that was where the, the, it was in the cenacle that they awaited the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's a place to to, to be with the priests. I call, that's, that's that The idea of the cenacle is to be with the priests. So sprinkled throughout the year, we have cenacle meetings. We move it around a little bit where we gather for prayer. We spend a Eucharistic hour of, of prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, praying together, praying for each other, praying for the priest, praying for our people. Um, then we share a meal together. And then we have conversation about our ministry and life as, as priests in this archdiocese. And that's where I'm trying to move into some kind of leadership and formation with the men to, to get them to know, to know my mind and heart. That this last cynical... Uh, which we just held not too long ago, I presented to them what, what we call the playbook, my playbook for, for my own uh, internal operation here in the pastoral center, but it's, it's really for all the church. So I shared the, the, the playbook with them with the intent that I want them to adopt this as their playbook in their parish as well, uh, adapting it, of course, to the local circumstances and the personality, history, culture of their parish. But essentially, we need to all be on the same page. Mm-hmm. We're one church, Mm-hmm. And that's that's my goal here is to get us all working together in the same direction with the same focus, the same emphases, the same priorities. And it's very simple. The playbook is as is, is simple as this. I'll, very quickly, I can say it. And you'll notice in those our listeners can't uh, see it, but I have nothing in front of me. Right. This, is, this is like our my little elevator speech. Mm-hmm. You know, the first is, why do we exist? Mm-hmm. Why does the Archdiocese of Portland exist? We exist to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Uh, what do we do? We minister the salvation that has been wrought for us in Jesus Christ through his passion, death, and resurrection by exercising his three offices of priest, prophet, and king to teach the people of God, to sanctify, and to shepherd the people of God into heaven. That's why the church exists. That's what we do. And how will we know? How, what is it? What is? How will we succeed? I, anyway, three things. By focusing on the people that we have, yes, well, we, we, through them we need to reach the people who have fallen away, the people who have never heard of Jesus, all of that evangelization work that needs to happen, absolutely. But we have to start by focusing on the people mm-hmm. that we have still with us because we're bleeding. Mm-hmm. And we have to, secondly, then and have, bring them into a life-giving, transformative, ongoing encounter with Jesus Christ in the church. They have to know Christ. We can't give what we don't have. If we don't know Jesus, if we haven't had an encounter with Christ that has changed our life, we can't share him with others and change other lives. And then thirdly, to really impart the fullness of our Catholic faith, the fullness of our Catholic faith. We're living in a culture that is hostile to our faith, Mm -hmm. that has rejected so many of the things that are fundamental to what we believe. Just just the whole cultural landscape that we live in now, it lives and exists as if God does not exist, as if there are no eternal truths, and that everything's just kind of up for grabs, and we're making it up as we go along. Uh, we need to impart the fullness of the gospel message in our Catholic faith, and we can't shy away from the difficult questions of our day. If we do this... Uh, we're going to change lives, we're going to change the face of the church, and we are going to transform Western Oregon. And that was my message to the priests. If we can get all on board with this, mm-hmm. and if we can get our people on board with this, and if we can, I, I said this many times, if the, if the Catholics in Western Oregon, if we could just get our act together, get united instead of divided, and go forward with this vision, I, I really, I have great hope for, mm-hmm. for the future. Yeah. 
And just as you're unfolding all of this, it is very simple, but everything is about unity, about coming together, about, like you said, being on the same page. It's all rooted in Jesus Christ. And if, if you have that with our priests, if you have that with our religious, and then it, it reaches the faithful. But I think about your example of being out at the March for Life. People are coming from all different backgrounds, but what unifies us? This right to life, this get the respect of human dignity. God gives us that opportunity to just be in awe of human life. Let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Let's work on that unification of the church. And I think it's really exciting because you're painting an identity. We're identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. That's who we are, is an identification with our love of well, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, Christ. that's, that's that's you know, we, we are to share Jesus with the world. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about him. It's not about us. Mm-hmm. It's not about our own political agendas. It's not about our own ideologies. Uh, you know, we can't have parishes that decide that, you know, we're not really on board and, you know, we really have our own way of doing things or seeing the world or seeing the, the values uh, that, are, that are, you know, under contention these days. That's, that's not Catholic. You know, Catholic is, is universal. Catholic is, is unified. You know, we're, we're, we're one body in Christ. Jesus painfully, painfully prayed for unity among his, his, his disciples the night before he gave his life for us. And his great high priestly prayer before he entered into his passion. What did he pray for? He prayed that we be one. That we be one. And wherever there is division, there is the enemy. There is Satan. Very much at work. Um, And, uh, you know, we've got to overcome our our differences. We've got to learn to forgive one another. Uh, We've got to, to, to learn to accept one another. But always in the truth. You know, we never we never accomplish good when we go down the path of falsehood and we believe lies and when we buy into lies and when we abandon the faith and, and the truths of the gospel. You know, I, St. John Paul II, uh, my great patron, and, and I just love him, uh, famously said in, in his letter to the church at the beginning of the new millennium, Novo Millennio Iniunte, he says it's not... You know, in terms of the work of evangelization that's before us, he says it's not the matter of a new. It's not about a new program. Mm-hmm. We don't need a new program. That's not what it's about. The program he says already exists. Yeah. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the living tradition, capital T of the church. We've already got it now. In terms of new evangelization, yes, he did emphasize it. There has to be a new expression. There has to be a, a new energy to it um, and new means. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the three keys of, of a way, way he looked at the new evangelization. That we, they, It needs an expression that our people can understand today. I mean, to simply adopt, you know, um, theologies and theological expressions from centuries ago uh, you know, does we, we they're true as they are, as, as wonderful as they are, as foundational as they are, they have to be articulated in a way that people in our time today can hear it. Right. We don't do any good if we're speaking to them in a language they don't understand. We have to speak to them in a language that that touches their heart, not not 
watering anything down, not diluting anything, not changing anything of the substance and what we believe, but, but bringing it to people in a way that they can understand it. So a new expression that, that relates to the people of our time, new means, you know, that, that, you know, there's all kinds of new vehicles for proclaiming the gospel. I'm trying to build this YouTube channel, you know, and I mean, it's, it's like, Seriously? I mean, if you had told me 32 years ago when I was ordained a priest that I would have a YouTube channel someday and I would be proclaiming the gospel and trying to lead people to faith, you know, over, over something that we didn't even... Listen, when I was ordained a priest, you know, we, uh, we barely, barely, barely internet, had the internet, right? barely. Right. Um, uh, and then new energy. We need a new fervor, a new energy for it. We, got, we just got to, we've got to get on fire. That's what I pray for our people, that the Holy Spirit be poured on upon us, creating a, a great sense of unity among us, but also setting our hearts on fire mm-hmm. together for the work of evangelization. And this is everybody. Yeah. This isn't just the priests. And it's, so when I speak about me working closely with the priests and trying to form them and, and create a unity among us, again, I want to emphasize it's not to the exclusion of the people mm-hmm. of God. It's for them. Yeah. But it's to set a fire for all of them because... I tell you something, I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of this. The, the lion's share of evangelization, the work that the church needs to do, the lion's share of that is right in the hands of the laity. That's where evangelization is going to happen. That's where it's going to be one by one by one when we're open to each other and when doors open for us and we don't, we're not afraid to walk mm-hmm. through them. I just, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, uh, I've been joking about this a little bit uh, that uh, uh, with some of the folks here, you know, one field of evangelization for me, one, one, one uh, 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 place of evangelization for me of all places in the world has become the gym. Mm-hmm, you know, right. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, you know, when I when I go to the gym, I, you know, and I joined a gym about maybe almost two years ago, you know, of course, I, you know, I'm not wearing my Roman collar when I'm going to the gym. So nobody knows who I am at first. But over time, it's a small kind of community gym and people have gotten to know who I am over time. I'm having incredible conversations all the time with people at the gym and then f- even follow up conversations outside of, of, of quote unquote gym time. Well, that's that's just me. You know, now, okay, granted, I'm, I'm the archbishop, so people kind of, you know, naturally would, would maybe open up those kinds of conversations with me if they're interested. But that could be for everybody. That's right. That could be for everybody. Every man, woman, and child mm-hmm. can do this if, if we let our faith be known, not in an overbearing way, but if people know we are people of faith, and if we signal in various ways that we are a people of faith. I mean... When I see, you know, guys at the gym and they've got a, a cross around their neck or they've got a religious medal or something around their neck, I'll comment on it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just open conversations. You know, you're wearing it, so you're 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 kind of advertising that you're a person of faith. Well, let's, let's have a chat, right. you know. So anyway, I think this is, I think it's exciting. I think there's just so much that we can do as a church to evangelize. Uh, to proclaim this charisma, this gospel, this good news to others, to tell the story, to know our story, to tell it, share it. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do great things mm-hmm. for God here in Western Oregon. I'm very confident and and hopeful uh, for the future. Yeah, by the grace of God, and again with the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So come, Holy Spirit, it's come. It's all <laughs> in God's hands, Jesus. I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm excited for these continuing days to unfold and to watch how the Holy Spirit just sets a fire here in Western Oregon. With that, would you help us close with your yes. blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families and loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. Until our next encounter, may God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.